Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Well, welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest is a keynote speaker, social entrepreneur, endurance athlete. He's the only person to solo row from California to Hawaii with no prior rowing experience. He's completed 45 marathons, two Ironmans, and one 145-mile ultra marathon. He is a keynote speaker at Tez Talk, the Chief Engine Officer at United World Challenge. Please welcome Tez Steinberg. Welcome, Tez. Thank you, Greg. Really glad to be here. It's awesome to have you on your show. I can't wait to get into some of your stories and, and your past experiences. But before we do that, I really want to jump into my lead-in question, which is, Tez, tell me about um, how an endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly. Yeah, well, thanks for that question. I, I think the endurance mindset is something that's relevant to people from all walks of life, right? You don't have to be an endurance athlete, whether you're a mother raising kids or a father for that matter or building a business, whatever it might be, you know, we need that grit. We need that endurance in our lives. I discovered endurance sports actually while going through depression, and it was what helped me get through depression. What I found, though, was beginning to train. I, I signed up for a triathlon in college when I was struggling to even get out of my dorm room and heading to the pool and learning to swim. You know, I could I could do a lap, but I certainly wasn't a proficient distance swimmer. Um, learning these things helped had this optimism to other areas of my life, this feeling that I could grow. And so for me, it's that idea of growth that's really around the endurance mindset. I don't resonate as much with the idea that endurance is about putting your head down and grinding it out and ignoring these signals that we're getting that something is hard. It's instead reorienting to that and relating to it in a different way. And for me, it's around the growth story. So I summarize the endurance mindset in, in this idea set a goal so big you have to grow into the person who can achieve it that's the endurance mindset grow into your goals and that's had impact in my life as you mentioned you know i rowed across the ocean by myself and i wasn't a rower got in the boat with three days of training <laughs> that's basically the endurance mindset um and it's spilled over in other areas with business and life and and other other ways it's impacted me too which we can get into together that's that's awesome. Uh, it's funny you grabbed that quote about you know set a goal so big that you will grow into it because uh, that was my next question for you. Um, but just kind of continuing on to the comments you made around business, um, you know a lot of our listeners are CEOs, entrepreneurs, people you know going through their own careers. Talk to us about that endurance mindset and how it has impacted your business or, or helped you through that part of your journey? We often look at life from, I mean, it's impossible to look out anywhere from where you stand right now. You can have a creative vision that you're standing somewhere else, but when we're looking out towards our goals, they're from our vantage point of where we are today. And so what tends to happen is we think about how we get there from here and then pick a goal that we know we can reach. If I'm at A, I'm going to set a goal that's B. And if you look ahead five, 10 years or for the rest of your life, if you only take incremental goals, then you're not going to get very far at the end of the day, right? So for me, it's really around 
picking a goal that scares me, that genuinely scares me, that I have no evidence to suggest I can do. And this is something that you have to do with caution, right? You know, in what domains you can do this or, and also give yourself the appropriate time because these things do take time. It's not going to happen overnight. We tend to overestimate what we can do in a year, underestimate what we can do in five years, right? But picking a goal that we have no evidence to suggest we can do and then trusting ourselves to learn how to do it. And in my case, that's been the story with starting different businesses. I used to run a nonprofit in Bolivia and Venezuela doing medical education. We helped set up the first and only university-based EMT training programs in Venezuela and Bolivia. And it's kind of a similar thing where you start getting this little bit of a vision and working towards it. And if you said at the outset of that effort that that would have been the end result, I would have thought that's crazy, you know, but taking it one step at a time, things can develop. If you, if you allow yourself to set really ambitious goals and trust that you'll figure it out along the way. That's, that's well said. So rewinding back into your life, you said you had three days worth of rowing training and you, at some point, hopefully prior to those three days, decided to take on this adventure from California to Hawaii. And as you're just talking about setting these huge unobtainable goals, like walk us through when you decided to take, that was the challenge for you, the preparation that you needed to sort of get coordinated and then like launch us into that journey. And then from that, we'll start exploring into the stories and the realizations. And, but really like talk to us about that goal setting time frame for you. Sometimes goals happen to us in an, in an unexpected way. I think that's what happened with my row. Never framed it that way, but in hindsight, it sort of became something I realized I had to do. It wasn't like I was looking for a next challenge. What happened is in 2016, I was earning my MBA at London Business School, was racing, running ultra marathons, traveling, and life was great. Been doing endurance sports for about 10 years at that point and had learned time and time again, I could you know, trust myself to grow into these new sports and these new challenges. But in 2016, something really big changed in my life. My father died and he actually took his life. And when that happened, I was really unsure what to do next. I knew I wanted to process this through motion and movement as I do with emotions in my life. But I was exactly, you know, feeling lost and distraught and angry. But it was around the same time that I went to a film festival in London and saw a film about a woman who had rode around the world. And that film inspired me. I thought, hang on, could I row across an ocean? Well, within a month, I'd read a few ocean rowing books and I said out loud for the first time, I think I'm going to row across an ocean. And I barely whispered it to a friend because it sounded crazy. I was like, that's not a sentence someone should say. But she's like, what? And I say it a little bit louder. And, and that's kind of how it went, right? Getting a little bit more confidence around this idea. Well, that was 2016. It was not a rower, not a sailor. I'd never been to sea. So at that point, it became a question of how do I possibly pull off this project? There's the tactical, practical skills. How do you learn to survive at sea, manage a boat, all the expedition logistics. But it's also a business. I'm not independently wealthy enough to self-finance an ocean row. You need a um, specialized vessel. There's a lot of support that goes into it. Even though solo ocean rowers are alone, and in my row from California to Hawaii, which was 71 days, I didn't see anyone that whole time. 
there's also a team around me on land supporting me remotely. Um, and so pulling all of that together takes time. I started figuring out how I could possibly do this. Well, three and a half years later, I get everything ready. But in that last stretch of that three and a half years, that's when COVID came. And so when I thought that I would have months to train in my boat, everything locked down. And all I had time for in the end was to fit in three quick days of training in Washington where the boat was built, then put it on the trailer, tow it down to California and hit the water. Couldn't delay because there's a window weather, a weather window based on storms and other, other factors in which you could, with less risk, row out to sea. And so that weather window was quickly coming to a close and it was either delay uh, a year or try my luck. So I went with the latter and pushed out to sea on July 3rd with just three days of training. That's incredible. Um, it is amazing how a deadline forces <laughs> you to actually do it, right? You know, it's one of those things I've set many goals in my life that I say, oh, I'll get to it when I get to it. And you never get to it. But if you say, I'm going to get to this by Tuesday afternoon on April 11th, you're most likely going to actually accomplish that, that goal. Um, walk us through what those first handful of days were like. And, you know, I won't even preface my question. I'll just, just let you go. The first few days were a nightmare, honestly. Well, day one, day one was really special. I rode out to sea at midnight to catch the outgoing tide. And when the sun came up, it was very obvious that this was a, a whole new world for me. And just these little tiny rolling waves. I was like, wait, is the, how is the boat in these little waves? And, you know, it's fine. We're talking about like one, two foot swell. I had perfect conditions and rode for 20 hours straight to get offshore so that when I rested, I wouldn't blow back towards land. Well, then day two, weather starts picking up. And by day three, there's a Pacific hurricane about a thousand miles away, whipping up winds of about 35, 40 miles an hour, big waves as I'm crossing the continental shelf offshore. And I lose control of the boat. As a novice, just didn't know enough about how to manage the boat in those conditions. I think looking back, there's a a little part of me that would be like, I'd like to give it another go. That's probably the ego in me because it was such a disaster. Um, By day three, I have to retreat into my boat's cabin. Now, I imagine you might uh, be able to post a photo with this with this show so people can see, but the boat is 23 feet long and has cabins on either end. In the bow cabin on the front, that's the cabin where I can go and sleep. I have a cot and uh, communication equipment inside of there, but I also installed a seatbelt on my cot as an emergency just-in-case device. Well, on day three, I find myself using it strapped down to my bunk, with a helmet on my head being tossed around by all of these waves. And to complicate it a little bit more, in these moments, you know, we might turn to things that would be sources of comfort for us. I brought photos of home and music and audiobooks, but on this very same day, my iPhone factory reset in my pocket. It just turned into a brick. Now I have satellite internet, but I can't use that to restart my phone and re-upload, like reboot it. So that thing's done. So I find myself inside my cabin, day three, four, five, six, just waiting. And in those days, all of my doubts and demons are coming up, man. They're telling me, turn back before it's too late. You're an embarrassment to your sponsors, to everyone who supported the crowdfund to pull this off. This is going to end in disaster. Equipment is starting to break. Hatches are flooding. 
I'm in so far over my head. And at that point, I really, really, really want to turn back. And I told my boat builder, I said, Sonia, this isn't going to plan. Um, I'm really not liking this. And she's like, you thinking about turning around? I was like, yeah. She's like, that, that's normal. And this is helpful for leaders, right? Create a culture where people can speak up and normalize their feelings. If someone's saying this is hard, make them feel heard first before offering advice for how to change things. Because if they don't feel heard, they're not going to be receptive to that. So she made me feel heard. She said, that's normal. You want to turn around. And she said, if you can, just keep an open mind. So on day seven, I get back out onto the oars and I tell myself, I can quit. I'm allowed to quit, but not today. Today, all I have to do is make it a good day. It doesn't matter how far I get. Just make it a good day. And I think that's part of the endurance mindset. I can quit, but can I take one more step? Can I take one more stroke? It's a little bit of a lie you can tell yourself because you really aren't going to quit. But if you give yourself the permission, it de-escalates the situation a little bit. Gives you, you know, you can be a little more compassionate to yourself. And in that compassion, there's a little bit room to open up and take that step. You know, I, I really relate to just make it a good day, right? And it, and to me, what that speaks to is routines. And I would love for you to get into a little bit deeper on your personal routines and then even routines that you had while out at sea that that helped you get through the help make that this day is going to be a good day. Let's not worry about tomorrow, but today let's focus. Talk to us about routines and some of your personal habits. Routines, as we all know, are really important, whether it's training or anything else. Personally, I do my best to go to bed at a time that allows me to sleep until I need to. And if I go to bed too late, well, so be it. I sleep until I need to. And I don't use an alarm except in very limited occasions. So that's the first thing. Routine number one is get sufficient sleep. Um, and then two, I bookend my days with a little bit of journaling, gratitude journaling. Simple. I mean, I'm not talking about a 30-minute exercise here. I use an app called 5-Minute Journal in the morning. List a few things I'm grateful for. Name a few things that's going to make help me make today great. Finish with an affirmation. In the evening, I do the same exercise, basically. And that helps me start and finish the day from a more optimistic place, thinking about things that are going well, think about thinking about things that are within my control. What can I do to make it a great day? And um, those are a couple of routines that I find super helpful. Um, at sea, that was a lot harder. You know, when we're when we're totally disoriented, even the, the most long-term habits can fall away. And I forgot all of my affirmations. I forgot my routines and my tools and all of these things. And that's where having a bit of a team comes in handy, right? We think of endurance as, as a solo affair, but ultimately none of these feats are done in isolation. And so from a routine, it's also a question of who is on your team and what is your routine about supporting each other, checking in and helping each other on the journeys. Because that that's where you you can't see your blind spots and and other people can see them for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, shifting gears slightly, Tez, take us back to your youth and how you got into what you do and this adventure and and yeah, just walk us through a little bit about you and your history. 
Let's see, going going all the way back here. So I grew up in the Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York. Um, the nearest neighbor was a 10-minute walk. I was the youngest of three, and my older siblings moved out fairly early for scholarships and education, and my parents split up when I was 10. So I spent a great deal of time with myself. And I think that's an important distinction. When people imagine me alone on the ocean, they think I'm by myself. For me, it felt like I was with myself. Being able to spend time with yourself, being your own company. That's, a, that's something I learned really early on um, and has been really, really helpful. And we can talk a little bit about how that impacts ideas like uh, loneliness and things as well. Um, but I spent a great deal of time just wandering in the woods outside of my house by myself, with myself. And I remember when I was 10 years old and I got my first geared bike and I started biking the three miles into the little 600 person town and that feeling of empowerment, like, oh my gosh, I can go anywhere. You know, <laughs> you know, hand me down bike, not a, not a great machine. It still was so exciting to me as a kid. And I still remember that feeling. And so there was, there was something in me that definitely wanted to travel, definitely liked self-propelling. Um, and I, I always wanted to downhill ski race as well. We were about 20 minutes from a, a mountain up in upstate New York. And I wanted to ski race really badly. Our, our family didn't have the funds, so I couldn't join the, you know, the, the club race team. But it planted that seed in me to go fast, to race, to challenge myself, to grow. And it's funny when I was, what, 23, 24, and I started doing triathlons, I looked back and I was like, oh my God, I'm fulfilling this childhood dream that I never got to do. And so those, those experiences were, as we're kids, definitely find ways to show up later on in our life. It certainly happened to me. You know, I, I'm similar in the fact that my first sense of freedom was on my bicycle and it's mm. hilarious now that I do these endurance races and I spend hours and hours and hours every week sitting on my bicycle, but Stop I had that... like freedom after a little while. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a, it is a, the bicycle is one of the best inventions ever. <laughs> so as you mentioned loneliness um, and there was some other comments you were going to make around that. Can you dive in a little bit deeper? For sure. Yeah. I think, Loneliness is, is a bit of an epidemic in the modern era, right? We have this love affair with the idea of entrepreneurship and grinding it out and working really hard and hustle. And that can be a lonely journey, right? Um, but I, I, and when people imagine me out on the ocean, they often assume I was lonely. They ask questions, how did you deal with loneliness? And what was interesting is when I was on land preparing for the expedition, more in that entrepreneurship mind, mindset, building the campaign, pitching sponsors, you know, I was working for Deloitte Consulting for all the years of preparing for that row as a, as a manager in the consulting practice, would travel during the week, then come home and work on the row on weekends. Didn't have much of a social life. And that felt really lonely. But when I got out to sea, I didn't feel lonely at all. It was incredibly hard, and sometimes I felt incredibly overwhelmed. I felt terrified. Um, I felt afraid. I felt scared. All these different things, but I didn't feel lonely. And that's because I love being outside. I love being with nature. 
And that's an important distinction for me. I say that if you want to address loneliness, yeah, you can hang out with other people, but that's treating the symptom, not the cause. When I was here in Colorado where I live and I was getting a break from planning the expedition and I would take a sunset hike, even if I did that by myself, the loneliness would go away because that's quality time with myself. So I say, if you want to address loneliness, invest in quality time with yourself, do things you love with yourself. And of course you can invite other people along the way. You don't have to do it by yourself, but seeing that you can be your own source of company. And the important thing is the quality time, whatever makes you feel connected, inspired, open to me, that's the solution for loneliness. That's really insightful. Um, Talk to me about how you discovered that, how you discovered that finding the right amount of time, the right place, the right intimacy for yourself alleviated that loneliness feeling. Is that something you just discovered sort of you woke up one day and said, let's try this? Or was it was there a process of elimination? Walk us through sort of your self-discovery with that. Well, one thing I'll say is it's a journey. These things are continually evolving, right? So I won't say I've arrived at a place where it's certain and final. Um, life has seasons and ebbs and flows, and there are points in life where people are more social or less and, and other things as well. So understanding that there's seasonality to these things. But in my case, when I got into endurance sports, I did my first season of triathlons, finished with a half Ironman. I then went on to study abroad at Oxford. And before I did that, I bought a cycle, uh, a, a touring bike. And I biked around the UK and Ireland by myself. And that was one of my first experiences of really extended travel alone. And the first few days were super intimidating. Cycling out of London, never been here, fighting the traffic, trying to get out into the countryside. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've bit off way more than I can chew. I can barely even lift this bike. I packed it with so much stuff that I didn't need it all. <laughs> And I was like, how the hell am I going to bike this thing thousands of miles? But within a few days, I got used to it. And then I really started to enjoy that experience. Being able to say, where am I going to go today? What am I going to think about is another thing. So often we're distracted by all of the things we need to do and all the inbound, all the notifications that we don't actually get extended time to reflect. And for me, that experience cycling and other things like it taught me about what the, some of the insight that can come from time with yourself, where you actually get to reflect, ask yourself questions that might be uncomfortable. But if you have the time to unpack them and deal with what comes up, then it's actually not as scary as you might think. So it was that cycle tour that really helped introduce me to some of these ideas. And, and it just continues to be an unfolding as I learn more. Certainly. Yeah, it's incredible when you find the time to back to your point you've made a couple of times so far, when you find and make the time for yourself, the self-discovery that comes from that. But it, the the intentionality has to be there too, right? Um, so just going back into your row, uh, and I'm sure there's a thousand different stories that, that you could share, but we don't have that, that amount of bandwidth today. Um, I would love to hear about when you first saw the land again and the feelings and yeah, it, it just talk, asking you the question is going to make me choke up. Cause I have, I remember like finishing an Ironman and the emotion that comes through your body before you actually 
realize that what you've done, I'd, I'd love to hear the the feelings of deep down um, you know, inspiration that you had when you, when you finally like the sun rose and you saw the land and I'm trying, trying to tell the story for you, but I'll leave no, it. No, you're that. good. You're good. <laughs> it's funny the I know exactly what you're talking about with finishing the Ironman. My first Ironman when I it was a double loop for the marathon. And the first time I passed the finish line with insight, tears started welling up in my eyes. And I was just thinking a half marathon to go and I'm an Ironman, you know, and super impactful. It was actually really different on the ocean. The initial emotions are more subdued because of the technical difficulty in making land. The most difficult and dangerous parts of an ocean row are at the start and the finish. In the middle of the ocean, there's a great deal of margin. If I drift that's okay. I'm not going to run into anything. At the start and finish, if I drift off course, that could be disastrous. And where I was landing in Kaneohe Bay, Oahu, Hawaii, there are 26 submerged reefs in the bay. There are massive cliffs. There are fickle currents, crashing waves, a lot to navigate. And to top it off, I was really tired, not just from 10 weeks of rowing, but because on my second to last day, I woke up and at this point I could see land, which was actually a little surreal. At this point, after 10 weeks of only seeing water, I had got this idea in my head that everything is water. Like anything else is just an illusion. And to some extent, that's true. You and I are just water in borrowed form. But seeing this land, it kind of looked out of place. And uh, But I knew, okay, I need to make landfall before dark the next day. I was 100 miles away. So I said, okay, I have to row all my last day. And then I'm going to row through the night. And then I'm going to row through my very last day, nonstop. And so the last night was just magic. They're shooting stars across the sky and bioluminescence in the sea, all this plankton that's lit up when the waves tumble and crash, just beautiful. And when the sun came up, this was the moment you're imagining, beautiful sunrise, big, big puffy clouds over the east and Hawaii behind me to the west. And it's absolutely stunning. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I still have another 12 hours of rowing and I've been going for 24. And at this point I'm exhausted. You know, like you, you've perhaps experienced this in Ironmans or other races where your body does a much better job of processing heat when it's rested. But later on in the race, the body's ability to manage that really declines. And I, my last day, I was finding myself out of breath. Now, walking, rowing is basically like a walking pace. People are like, how could you row for 10, 12 hours every day? I say, you could walk for 10 or 12 hours every day. You're going to get tired. You're going to get sore, but your body will adapt to it. Bodies adapt whether to positive or negative. We sit around, they adapt to that. If you exercise, they adapt to that. And so over time, I got used to this 10 to 12 hours of rowing every day, and I'm not out of breath. It's a walking pace. But on my last day, when it really matters, when I need to keep up my pace in order to make landfall before dark, I find myself taking two, three strokes and having to stop and catch my breath. And I'm thinking, this is insane. This is the most important point. All the other days I could have taken an hour off or a rest day and it wouldn't have mattered. And now I can't even take three strokes without stopping. And I started repeating a mantra to myself as I checked and made sure I was sweating and I wasn't in heat shock or heat stroke. Say, okay, I'm sweating. My body is hot, but I am fine. I am rowing to the finish. And at first, I can just get a couple words out before stopping, catching my breath again. And I just say it as a whisper. 
But over the course of an hour, Greg, I get to the point where I'm shouting, my body is hot, but I am fine. I am rowing to the finish. And maybe some clouds came over. I mean, the sun did pass overhead a little bit behind me. Could have been perfect timing, but I think the mind also plays a strong role in how we experience our body. And I started to cool down. And I was able to push through, make it into the bay at 6 p.m., meet my escort boat and touch land just at dark after 71 days and made a safe and successful arrival, which is really the most important point um, to not crash in the final landing. You know, like the gymnast needs to stick the landing. That's what it felt like. So the emotions came in the following days. It was really about landing it. Wow. You got my skin tingling. Um, shifting gears a little bit again. I Talk to us what you're doing now. I, I mentioned in the, the introduction, you do public speaking, social entrepreneurship. Talk to us about what you're doing these days. Yeah. So with Tez Talk keynotes, as I like to call them, I work with businesses, entrepreneurs, different executive groups to help leaders find their ocean and the courage to cross it. I believe we all have an ocean to cross. That challenge that's step-by-step, stroke-by-stroke, we tell ourselves might be a little bit too ambitious, but you can actually get there if you break it down into the small pieces and figure out a map and just show up every day. So speaking is a passion of mine, sharing stories from the ocean and lessons that are relevant to everyone in their journeys in life and business. So that's one is the TED's Talk keynotes. And I'm also planning another expedition, which I can't give you too much info about right now, but it'll be a world record and world first attempt uh, that I'm going to announce this September, 2023, and I will begin in December of 2023. Um, so I'm really excited for that. I just quit my day job at Deloitte last week and wow. um, now fully committed to planning this expedition and, and supporting leaders as a speaker. Which rolls me right into my next question. Uh, how can people track you, social media? What's your platform of choice? Um, as you are embarking on this new expedition starting September, you know, give us the clue to where do we track you from here to then and to, to watch your perform, watch what you're doing. Best places to follow me are LinkedIn and Instagram at Tez Steinberg. And if you want to learn more, teztalk.com and unitedworldchallenge.org are my websites for the speaking and expeditions, Tez Talk and United World Challenge. Awesome. And we'll have those links in our show notes. We'll also put some images of your boat um, and anything else you want to share for our show notes below. So um, Tez, it's been awesome having you on the show. We could chat for hours and hours and swap stories. You know, some of the takeaways I wrote down today, um, you know, set goals that you can grow into for sure. And the one I loved the most was trust yourself enough to grow. And um really impactful. Again, super to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Greg. Really glad to be here. And I'd love to come back after I announce the next expedition. Oh, it's it's going on my calendar next. Excellent. <laughs> to, to reach out to you in September. Track you in the meantime, but reach out to you in September to, to, to really get into this next expedition. Awesome. I look forward to it. Well, keep uh, keep sending that positive energy out to the universe. It's It's really making an impact. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits 